0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles out. Like, like you heard, this is, a, this is a family month. How many of you loved your family? Just look around at them right now and say, well, you know, I love you. I, I do. I love my family. You know what? God loves the family. Not just the family of God, but the unit, the family. And throughout this month, I'm going to be speaking about that. It just the Lord just laid upon my heart. I'm going to be talking about several messages uh, over the family. Today, I'm going to be speaking a very important message that's going to help you understand uh, protect your children protect you protect your family my plan is to share a little bit this month about how to raise godly kids in an ungodly culture i think that's an important message how many of you have children or grandchildren that would be an important message for you to know i also want to talk about how to divorce proof your marriage how many of you would like to hear something along that lines I think it's very, very important that our marriages are strong because that's the core of our family. And so the Lord just kind of laid that those things on my heart. It's important that we understand from the Word of God how to do these things uh, by the Spirit of the Lord helping us to do that. This week, our kids all go back to school. Uh, my wife, she's not a teacher, she's a school nurse, and so she deals with all these kids. She knows how this goes. And I read. A, Came across something really funny about the kids going back to school. How many of you are school teachers or you work in the school system? We have some. We have several. Yeah, or you're retired or whatever your staff. I read something that says it's tough being a teacher working in a school system. There are seven ways that you know that you're an elementary school teacher or school staff. Number one, you think caffeine should be available in intravenous form. Is that is that true? Number two, you can tell if it's a full moon without even looking outside. <laughs> Number three, you believe the teacher's staff room should be equipped with a Valium salt lick. Just go in there and get you a little bit. Number four, you laugh hysterically when someone calls the teacher's staff room a lounge. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I've never seen couches, uh, recliners and stuff. In the... You want to strangle the next person who says, well, it must be nice to work from eight to three and have your summers off. <laughs> Y'all know what that... Number six, you believe the shallow gene pool theory should have its own box on a report card. Number seven, you would approve the aerial spraying of Prozac over school campuses. I mean, I don't know about that one, but no, really, school teachers, people that work with our kids, they're there because they love kids. They love children. It's not for the pay, and they love a good challenge. So. This week, as our kids go back, we're going to pray for our children today and we're going to pray for all of those who work in our school systems because you are important. You're important, especially in the day in which we live when all types of nonsense and terrible teaching is is infiltrating our schools. We need godly teachers who will just say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're just resisting to do that. So this morning, I want to just take you to the Word of God. I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. Thanks, Daniel. Today's a very special day because at the end of service, we're going to be baptizing three people today. It's just wonderful. I love it. I love seeing God do some great things. And I see some of you who are family members, you're here today to celebrate that. Thank you for being here. If it's your first time here, you are at home here because we're just who we are. We love each other. We love Jesus. And uh, we're reaching out into our community. We've got a group for you. There's a place for you, all of you. Let me just tell you about the family. I'm afraid that our families are in trouble. The U.S. Census Bureau describes a family as a group of two or more people residing together together that are related by birth, marriage, or adoption. Currently, in the United States, there are 83.7 million families in our nation. Now, out of those 83.7 million families, there is just a portion of those who do attend church. Recent statistics by Barna says and exposes this real problem in America that really truly begins in the home. Of those 83 million families, 63.5 million of them are practicing Christians, which means that they attend church three or four times a month. But now, recently, they only attend twice a month. Of those practicing Christians where they used to attend at least twice a month, now they attend one time or less to church. But there is another category. It's called churched adults in America. Of those, there are 124 million people who have been churched. They've been exposed to church. They've heard a message. They've gone to, they've gone to church. They are the CEOs of the church. Christmas and Easter only crowd. They show up and they attend church, what they call regularly, once every six months what they call it and I think that that exposes a real problem in our nation because when the family disregards the spiritual growth and the spiritual well-being of their children and of the family itself it exposes them to all types of dangers that this world will exploit that Satan will exploit and he will exploit those things that's why this month we have put so much resources and energy and even in our church recently We emphasize children's ministry and kids. And here's the reason why. Two-thirds of all Christians came to know Christ before they were 18 years old. I want you to think about that. Two-thirds of the people in this room came to know Jesus before they graduated high school. As a matter of fact, 43% of them gave their heart to Jesus before they were 12 years old. You're telling me, Pastor, that most of everybody in this room got saved before they were 18? Yes, they sure did. They absolutely did. That's why we spend so much time working with kids, recruiting volunteers, because our children are precious to us. And it's and it's and it's. It shouldn't be a shock to parents who don't raise their children to know the Lord and don't raise their kids in church that when they get to be 20 and 30 years old that they say, man, I don't know why they're not living for God. I don't know why they're in church because the, the greatest multiplier is the early age and the ministry that God is able to work in a tender heart. You see, conversion after the age of 21 is actually rare. Only one quarter of all Christians come to know Jesus after the age of 21. That's an important statistic. That means that, half, that that over half of the people that are above the age of 21, that three quarters of those people, that they are in, in danger and it's not that the gospel won't be preached. It's that their choices have, have compiled and their ha- hearts have gotten calloused to where they don't hear the word anymore. They just don't listen. They don't respond. Some of you are here in this room this morning. Let me tell you, you're in that dangerous category because you're over the age of 21 and you haven't accepted Jesus and you've planted a lot of seeds in your life and it's worldly seeds, it's ungodly seeds and Satan has come and he, is, he, is, he has calloused your heart. It's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you. It's that you just don't listen. He still speaks. He still loves. He still convicts and he draws you. But we have so much other noise that we miss the signal of the Holy Spirit. It's signal, not noise, that we have to really start paying attention to. A quarter of the kids that got saved, those early ages, were led to the Lord by their parents. And most of those kids say that kids' ministry was a great factor. That when children were taken to camp or had kids' crusades or vacation Bible school, of all the leaders, let me just give you a statistic and I'll close this, of all the leaders with kids, volunteers are important. Many of you volunteer with our children. 51% of kids' leaders work with less than 25 kids every week. Over half of all the volunteers in the United States that volunteer for Sunday school or kids service or or vacation Bible school, they're working with less than 25 kids. Let me tell you, you don't have to be in a mega church to make a mega difference in our generation. All you have to do is have an open heart and say, you know what, I want to bless this because I want to pass on what I have to the children of this generation. And it's important because of this fact. When kids graduate high school, two-thirds of them, 67% drop out of church within the first year. Of all those kids that when we've seen them in church in high school and they leave the church, when they get into college age, only 31% of them return. 29% of them attend less and and 29% never return. I'm telling you, it's imperative that we as a church, we focus attention toward the young people and and toward children, toward our families so that our families are strong. Let me tell you, Parents, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you have more influence upon your children than you actually are aware of. You are are affecting their destiny and their eternity. Your life lived in front of them is so important. Which leads me to this last just bit of information and data I want to share with you before I read it in Ezekiel. George Barna, in his survey recently, and this was all recent, this is within the last year, he said that 67% of parents of preteens claim to be Christian, but only 2% have a biblical worldview. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? That means only 2% actually live what they say they believe. That is a dangerous, dangerous statistic for the church. We cannot just be people who proclaim that we are Christians and we live exactly like the world because our kids are smarter than you think. And they're watching you and they're saying what you say doesn't matter because what you do is really what you are. Our kids are smart. Nine out of ten parents of preteen children embrace this muddled worldview that mixes varieties of philosophical ideas and and biblical foundations. We live in a nation where the syncretism of beliefs has become conjoined and you can't differentiate uh, 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 any flavor of Christianity because it all lacks the true biblical foundation. We have to get back to this being the foundation of our faith and this being the foundation of our families and this being the foundation of the core beliefs in the church and not some opinion and not some political idea and not some political party. It's about the Word of God. We have to return our thinking and our living to the Bible and to what it instructs or we're going to lose a generation. We'll lose our children. Those statistics, they were, they were eye-opening for me. And honestly, they're not encouraging. But I'm here to t- encourage you today. Look at your neighbor and say, Pastor's going to encourage you today. I want to tell you, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless in America It's not hopeless in your family. The children of today are not a lost cause. We don't have to resign our family to assured assured destruction. You don't have to be discouraged about your children, even if they're not saved today. Because I want to tell you this morning, the Word of God says you have the ability to do something about your family and those family members who may not even be saved. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 says this. And I sought for a man, or you could say woman as well. I sought for a mom or a dad among them. That should look at this verse. And I'm reading from the King James because it uses the word I wanted to use. That will make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me. For the land, or the family, or the nation, or the unsaved loved one that I should not destroy. And sadly, Ezekiel says, I found none. But here's what I want to, here's what I, the call I want us to answer at Journey Fellowship Church here in August of 2022. God, you don't have to look any further. We will make up the hedge in my family. I will stand in the gap for the children of this nation. I will make up the hedge for those unsaved loved ones that are still out looking in the world to find satisfaction. I will stand in the gap. I will make the hedge. Do I have any hedge builders in the room this morning? I will make up the hedge. There is a scriptural basis. And what I want to teach you this morning is this scriptural basis of hedge building. Builder, becoming a builder of the hedge. You say, what are you talking about, pastor? I want to show you today how to build a spiritual hedge. In the scripture, there are three types of hedges. And you say, what's a hedge? Well, a hedge is a boundary. It is a, like a fence. In the Hebrew, it's the word musaka, which, which means a thorny bush. What would happen in the days of of Israel and, and the shepherds is they would take they would take piles of thorns and they would hedge in because you can 't be out on the mountainside and build lumber with lumber and build a fence they didn 't have barbed wire, but they would take bushes of thorns. Kind of like a tumbleweed. Anybody been to West Texas, you've seen those things. A tumbleweed. And they would pile these things up and make a temporary fence. Sawyer, you and Eric, I need y'all's help. I need y'all to bring those six chairs that's over there. I need y'all to bring them right here behind me. Unstack them, if you don't mind. Ezekiel said, God is looking for people who will make up a hedge. And that's what the shepherds and the people of Israel do. They would make up this hedge. And there are three types of hedges that I want to to teach you about this morning. Three types of hedges. The first one, if you're taking notes, if you've got your notes there in your bulletin, the first one is the hedge of protection. Hedge of protection. You can see this hedge that was built and made in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. The scripture says this. Look at it with me. This is Job. We know about his story. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord, thank you guys, and the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He not only uh, said that he was a follower of God, he lived like he was a follower of God. It wasn't lip service for Job. He was a true righteous man of God. But look at verse 9. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, he's saying, you know what? Job gets off pretty easy. I mean, he doesn't have to try to serve you. Verse 10. Have you not put a, say it with me, hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. This passage, what this does is it informs us that there is a protective covering that God can put around your life and that He had placed around Job and his family. It's kind of like these chairs that I'm going to use. God is able to build a hedge around you so that all of the enemy's works and the things that he tries and his schemes... That they come to naught. And then there's no fruition of what they do. And God will build a hedge of thorns around you. And you can be sheltered because God will protect you. And this is exactly what Satan... He said, I've tried to come against Job... But doesn't he worship you for no reason? You've got him surrounded. He's protected. Oh, that's exciting to know that God can surround you. He has you surrounded. You are absolutely surrounded. What's going to come against me? What's going to challenge me if God has me surrounded? What about your family? What about your your family? God wants to surround you and your family. He wants to surround your children. Here's the thing. Look at the scripture. Verse 10 says, Have you not put a hedge around him? Around his house. Around all that he has. You have blessed the works of his hands. You have blessed his possessions. What did God hedge in Job's life? He surrounded his family. He surrounded his health. He surrounded his wealth. He surrounded his livelihood. All of his possessions. Everything he has. I'm telling you, friends, wouldn't you like to know that God is protecting your job, on the job, that He is protecting your health, even in the midst of all types of diseases going crazy in our world, that God is protecting what you have? He's protecting your 401Ks, amen? Come on, somebody. That He's protecting your retirement? Stop sweating when the market goes up and down. God's got you. He's going to take care of you, friend. Tell you, Jesus is your great retirement. That's where retirement truly is. It's not in the stock market. It comes and goes, but he never changes. Job's regular custom, here's what I want you to see. In verse 5, you'll see it. He got up early every morning, and he would sacrifice a burnt offering for his family, for each of them. And he would think, you know what, perhaps my children, in verse 5, my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this, the Bible says, was Job's regular custom. What Job would do is he would get up every morning and he would begin to sacrifice. What that meant was Job would get up every morning and he'd say, Lord, I want you to surround little Susie today. You see, Job Job had seven sons and three daughters. And he called every one of them by prayer. And he said, Lord, I want you to surround them today. Lord, watch over and protect them. I want you to keep them, Lord, from the schemes of the enemy. And every day, as was his custom, Job built a hedge of protection around his children. Let me ask you, moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, how many have you had that regular custom of calling your children's name out to the Lord in prayer every day? Every day, what are you doing? You're building a hedge of protection around their life so that the darts and the flame, uh, the, 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 the schemes of the enemy will not come to fruition. It is a hedge of protection. You're protecting them. And the Lord makes it clear that He will protect us. He will surround us. In Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord will encamp around those who fear Him. Psalm 27, 5, for the day, in the day of trouble He will keep us safe in His dwelling. Inside his hedge. Psalm 511. Let us take refuge and be glad. Let us have ever sing for joy. He will spread his protection over us. That those who love your name may rejoice in it. Psalm 121 verse 5. The Lord watches over you. He is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. The moon not by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The Lord is watching over you. He is the hedge around about you. He is protecting you right now. Some of you feel a little bit nervous about the future and all that holds. You're scared about things coming against you and what all's happening. Let me tell you, stay put inside the hedge of God's protection, because nothing will fo- nothing will form against you. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. There's a missionary couple, they were named the Pollocks. Years ago, they went to New Hebrides Islands out in the Southeast Pacific. They went there, they were, they were the first European light-skinned individuals to ever walk upon this island. And as they walked onto the island, they were greeted, welcoming by some. But from the chief medicine man of that, of that village that was on that island in New Hebrides, he thought that they had come for a sinister reason. So the very first night, they found a shelter. They went inside that shelter, and that medicine man had told them, and this has been about 100 years ago, he told them, he said, these people are wicked, and they're here to destroy your kids. He said, we need to eliminate them. And so all of the warriors of the village surrounded that little shelter where brother and sister Pollock were inside on their knees praying. They knew something was about to take place that night. All night long, they prayed on their knees, seeking God, asking God for His protection upon their life. All night long, the warriors of that village, they gathered around that little shelter. And all night, they stood around that shelter, but they never attacked. The Pollock spent their entire life in New Hebrides. Many of those people from numerous islands came to know Jesus As a matter of fact, that medicine man, that chief, he came to know the Lord. And Brother Pollock asked him years down the road, he said, I want to know something. He said, it's always wondered. He said, why didn't you and all of these warriors attack us that night, that first night we were there? He said, why didn't you attack us and kill us that first night? He said, because of all of your guards. He said, what are you talking about? He said, we didn't bring any guards. It was just me and my wife inside praying. He said, no, no, no. I don't know where they came from. But he said, there was armed guards standing around that shelter. And he said, we were afraid that if we did try to attack, that we wouldn't survive. He said, I don't know what it was. He said, for all of these years, he said, God has kept us because he has been protecting us as we prayed that hedge around it. Now, my friends, let me tell you, when you pray, you don't know what heaven is going to dispatch around you. But if you will just stay inside the heads of protection, God is going to keep you and he will hold on to you and you don't have to be afraid. Stay inside the heads of protection. There's a lot of talk over the past couple of years about safety and protection. Can I just tell you that the greatest PPE that you can have is the living God standing guard over your life? It doesn't mean that you're not going to get attacked. It doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to come against you. He's going to try to find a weak spot. What was it that Ezekiel was being, God was telling Ezekiel? He said, I'm looking for someone who make, to make up the hedge. What's he saying? He's saying... There's a gap. And the enemy is probing your life to find where the gaps are. And he's saying, What I need is someone to stand in the gap. I've got the head, but there's a a gap, there's a hole. Where is the weakness of your family? Where's your weakness? Where, where is the gap? Where's the weakness in the hedge for your children? It doesn't mean that you're not going to be attacked. You're going to be challenged. But you've got to remember what Isaiah says. No weapon formed against you will prosper. What he's saying is he's saying the attack may come. You're going to have challenges in your life. It's going to be tough. There may be times when you have less money than you have now. Or there may be times when sickness may try to come against you. That doesn't mean that you're going to live a life that's just always... Here. You're going to have a tax, but those weapons will not prosper because the Lord has built the hedge and He is going to make them ineffective. When you face challenges in your life, all you're doing is being reminded that you live in a fallen, wicked, sin-filled world And all it should do is continue to make you press in toward faith in God so that you just trust Him with all of your heart. If God will watch over us here, one day we'll be able to worship Him up there because He'll make sure that we get there. So like Job, like Job, Make it your regular habit to build a hedge around your family, around your children. How do you do it? You just pray that hedge prayer. Father, I thank you for what you have given me, my children, my wife. Lord, I pray that you would just protect them and name your children. Don't just say, protect my kids. I name my wife and my kids every day. Lord, I pray for Shannon, Lord, that you would just keep her from sickness as she gets breathed on by those snotty, nasty little kids. Because, God, I don't want whatever they give to her. Lord, protect Sidney today. Lord, watch over her life. Watch over Seth, Lord. Watch over Sawyer. I call their names. I build a hedge so that the thorns that God, point, they're pointing outward, protecting them from the world. There's a hedge of protection. The second thing is there is a hedge of preservation. Hedge of preservation. There are only two individuals that can remove the hedge around your life. You and God. God came, when Satan came to Job and he said, hey, let let me see what I can do with Job, God opened up the hedge. You can also... Open up the hedge yourself and walk outside of it. You can put yourself in harm's way when you get outside of the will of God. This is the will of God for you as a believer. Being protected by His Spirit. You can walk outside of God's will and when you do so, you endanger yourself. And you endanger your family. But a hedge of preservation is important. Because when we break the hedge around us, it gets dangerous. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8, another King James version, says this, that whosoever breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. You want to get out where the snakes live? Just step outside the hedge of protection that God has around you in your life. You can open the gates... The difficult times in your life, really in three ways. You can begin to doubt God when trials, as the enemy is beginning to to pummel you and to attack you. You can start doubting and say, God, I'm not very sure that you're able to take care of me. And what that does is it creates a gap. That's what doubt does. You can can be unfruitful, and you can open up a gap because when God gives you when God gives you gifts and talents, he expects you to use them. Let me tell you something. Every gift that God has ever given anybody, he intended that for, to be used for his glory and not for the glory of their own self. Whatever God gives you, you can be unfruitful. And it can, it can cause a curse to fall upon your life. Just like what Jesus did when he walked past the fig tree. You can have you can have disobedience happen in your life and you can be like Joshua where some of his men hid articles that he had told them to destroy and they hid those things and then they went out to the next battle and Ai the small little village beat them down beat them up why did that happen because they were disobedient to the word of God when you start playing with sin you step outside the hedge of protection It wasn't God's fault it was your choice You can't blame God. He said, here is my will. Stay in it and you'll be protected. You stamp outside of God's will and you have entered a place of unprotected area in your life. Let me give you just some some understanding on this. Jesus prayed this prayer about Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Notice verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now here's, here's the difference. The hedge of protection protects us from what's on the outside. But a hedge of preservation will protect us from ourselves. Here's what this looks like. Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, I pray that your faith may not fail so that every point of, of my faith in God, every, every promise that God has, I just keep bumping into the promises of God. I just keep walking into the promises of God that whenever I begin to doubt, whenever I begin to think that God is not going to take care of me, I am reminded that the Lord says that He would supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. I'm reminded uh, that when, when, when I think that that my past sin is, is, is flaring and, and, and accusing me once again, I'm reminded that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then I'm saved and I don't have to go back and visit that again. I just keep bumping in. And that's what Jesus did to Peter. He was reminded. He was hedged in so that his faith wouldn't fail, so that he wouldn't open up the hedge. You kept bumping in. Let me tell you something. Parents, you have to pray that as your kids get older, that God would hem them in on every side. I don't just pray the Lord would protect my children from the schemes of the enemy and from the world. I say, Lord, keep them. Hem them in. When I was a kid, that was about my sophomore year in high school. Been raised in church, got saved when I was five years old. I mean, I knew everything there was to know, I thought, about serving God. I knew it. I'd been preached to since I was, before I was even born. When I became a sophomore in high school, I thought I'd sow a few wild oats. What I found out is I hung out with the wrong crowd and I went to their parties I'd put on a smile and act like that I was the coolest guy in the room. But let me tell you something. I was miserable on the inside. You know why? I knew too much to have a good time. I knew too much about what God uh, had, had, had dealt with my heart. I had heard way too many sermons about don't play with sin because it will keep you far long. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer and you want to stay. I'm telling you, don't play with sin. And I kept running into all these things trying to get out in the world and man I just kept bumping into the same thing that's why children's ministry that's why family is so important your moms and dads that that you bring your kids to church they need to have some points of faith established around their life so that they can't get out god keep our kids the enticements of the world are huge as you stand in here you think about a think about a 13 year old and here's what happens the devil Here's how the devil works. So you don't even have to be 30. Just think about a, a seven-year-old. Put a stack of candy and chocolate and all kinds of stuff around. And man, I'd like to get out there. The entrapments of the world. You put, you put sex and you put popularity and you put, you put, uh, you know... Just having a good time and, being, and all that's out there. But let me tell you something. Make them climb over the promises of God to get to that stuff. Because God will keep your children if you will pray that hedge of protection and preservation around their life. Are you with me this morning? I'm going to move quickly. He guards, He hedges us in by doing several things. He guards your heart. Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. He guards our peace of mind. Stress and worry. Doubt and fear. You want to get anxious. People get anxious. They just get fidgety. I've seen Christians just get fidgety because life is not working out the way they thought. It's, I, I need to be doing something. No, what you need to do is you need to what? No, Moses. Stand still and see that I am God. Just stand still. Hold your ground. Be faithful. He guards our thought life. He guards our speech. I'm not just talking about profanity. I'm talking about I've seen Christians sit in here inside this and they just develop this critical spirit because all they want to do is start complaining about every point that they keep running into. Come on somebody. You just develop this negative spirit. Well, you know what? Life would be a whole lot funner if I was out there. And that's how the devil works. You just keep praying that hedge around your kids. Man, I wish I was with the, my friends instead of at church today. Let me tell you, you, you pray that these things get taller and more pointy. Protects our body. So the Lord keeps us out. We, we pray a hedge to keep the, keep Satan out. And to keep us in. And then finally, there's a hedge of direction. I don't know how many times I've heard moms and dads pray over their children to come back to God or to find Jesus as adult children. There's a story in the Scripture, in the book of Hosea, it's a very unique story. Hosea writes this story about him and God told him to take this woman Gomer, which was a she was basically a prostitute. He told her to him to take her to be his wife as an illustration of what the nation of Israel had become. He gives this a graphic illustration and he prayed over his wife Gomer because when he took her to be his wife, he didn't, she didn't immediately drop her old bad habits. Can I just pause right there and say, if you're a single person in this, in this uh, church or you're listening online, don't do missionary dating. If you think, I'm going to get married to them so I can get them saved and get them in church, that is a bad idea. You find somebody who has the same belief system as you do, somebody who is already saved, somebody who is, loves God with all of their heart, that's the person you need to be looking for. Not, well, you know, I love them, and then God's going to peel it. That's not who who, who you will have a, a wonderful, satisfying relationship with. So he prays over Gomer. Gomer's out living it up. She's got other men. She's committing adultery with all types of individuals. And Hosea finds himself praying for his lost, ungodly wife. And in Hosea chapter 2, the scripture says in verse 6, says, Therefore I will hedge up her way. Let me show you what he's doing. He is directing her by the hedge that he's building around her. And as she stands this here, she can't go this way because she runs into the pricking of the Holy Spirit. She can't go this way. So what's the only way that she can move? This direction. And it's like building a hallway toward God. It's the hedge of direction. He prays this. Look at verse 6. I will will hedge up her ways with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers and not overtake them. She will seek them and shall not find them. Then she shall say, look at this, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me than now what i'm telling you is that if you have a child or if you have a spouse who does not know the lord you begin to pray this prayer of protect, of of direction in their life and you say lord i need you to get them to a place where they are miserable in their life where they can't find, just what, what Hosea said, they can't find satisfaction anywhere else. So all of their lovers have left them. All of their, their high life and their good life and their partying life and all of their money evades them. Just like the prodigal son when he found himself at the bottom of that pig pen with mud all over his face. And he, the Bible says he came to his senses. He had tried everything. He's out of money and out of ideas. When he came to his senses, just like what Gomer did... She said to herself, you know what, I will return and go back to my first husband. I will go back to Hosea because it was better for me there than it is now. May God, as we pray these heads around our unsaved family members and loved ones, God, make them feel like that there is nothing at the back end of this, of this life, that the only direction is toward Jesus. That is where they find satisfaction. So, you hymn them in, and God will hymn them in through your prayer. The choice will always be theirs. As Mark chapter 11 says, people quote this, therefore, in prayer, whatever you ask, believe, and you have it, you've received it, and it will be yours. Here's what I want you to understand there's a principle you must understand. Your faith will not violate another person's will. You cannot. Get somebody saved yourself. It is a choice that they have to make. But let me tell you something. You can make their life as uncomfortable as you have as they have ever imagined in order to see them walk straight into the arms of Jesus. I've seen this take place in my own family. I attended a family reunion not too long ago a couple weeks ago and i attended the the side of my family that actually brought me to where i believe that i am i've got some shysters and some hooligans on the other side of my family and y'all laugh but i know y'all got some of those in yours too There was a man, his name was Joe Smith. Pretty common, right? Him and his family lived in the southeast part of the state of New Mexico. And they up and moved to West Texas. They left everything that they had, couldn't even grow cotton there, and they moved down to West Texas out toward Kent County, Texas. You don't even know where that's at. Kent County, Texas. That whole county, I think, only has about 800 people in it there's more roadrunners than there probably are people and he moved to Kent county as a young man he was a talented guy joe was he actually played the fiddle and he was really really good he played the fiddle at all of the barn dances that they had in those days back in the 20s and the 30s and he had, he he would uh, they they'd have a good time you know they they drink their liquor you know and if it was a uh, if it was even if it was uh uh, moonshine i think they that stonewall county was a big place of moonshine they'd ship all that and they have all these big huge barn dances and of course everybody getting with everybody joe smith played the fiddle for this big you know group that they'd all get together that's how they used to do it just throw sawdust on the floor because if you were in a barn it's just already dirt that's how they had fun and there was a lady that that he had come across in town and her name was birdie Bertie was a beautiful young lady, about 16 years old. She didn't attend those barn dances. She actually attended church on a regular basis. A little spirit-filled church. They didn't even have windows. They just had shutters. they closed those doors and they'd have church in there. Being a spirit-filled church in those days, people would stop by. They'd hear them in there praying and singing songs. They'd make fun of them because... You know, it's one of those churches. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit in a cornfield. And Joe had his eye on her. It wasn't too long before he got up the Courage and he, after dating, they got married. Well, she didn't do what I encouraged you to do. She married Joe knowing that he wasn't the right man at the time. And so what she did was she began to build a hedge around him in his life. And that hedge was effective because it led him straight to Jesus. He did something that, that I wish he wouldn't have done. He took that fiddle and he put it away and he never played that fiddle again. But he came, be, became one of the most godly men He became my great-great-grandfather. And I was young enough or old enough to be able to hear him pray. He listed every person in our family by name. Every day. I would spend the night with him on occasion. And it was Nanny and Poppy. And as he would go down the list of names, building the hedge around his family... Sometimes he'd forget and he'd say, Bless little uh, little uh little uh and my hear my great-grandma she'd say, Timmy, daddy, Timmy. Timmy, that's Timmy. He'd wake her up at three in the morning and say, Ma, we need to pray. And she'd say, Daddy, I'm sleepy. Ma, we gotta pray for our kids. And he'd wake. This became the tradition, the 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 it was it was the foundation in our family that has brought through with five generations of men serving the Lord faithfully. Out of that side, preachers and pastors and evangelists all came from that. Why? Because that man and his wife, Joe and Bertie, they began to build a hedge around their family. Let me tell you something, that hedge is still growing today because I'm taking up that place to build that hedge around my family and my encouragement to you this morning is as i close daniel would you come we have to build a hedge around our families we have to protect them from what the enemy wants to do we have to keep ask god to keep them and if you have an unsaved child or you have an unsaved spouse this morning you can pray that god would build a hedge around Of direction that would basically be a hallway that would send them right straight to Jesus. I'd like for you just to bow your heads all over this room this morning. I want to close like this. I know we still have two or three baptisms to take place, and if you're getting baptized, why don't you go ahead and get ready? Right now, Most important time of the day. I'm asking you. To not allow. The enemy. To run over your family or your children. I'm asking you to be. What God called Ezekiel to be. To make up the hedge. To stand in the gap. For your children. For your spouse, for your family, not just this generation, but for generations to come. My question to you is this, where is the enemy getting in? That's the first thing you need to answer. If you have to deal with that, you need to deal with that. Where is the enemy getting into your family? Where is there a gap in my hedge? Where is the gap? That the enemy's getting in. Where is the gap in my life that makes me want to be tempted to get outside of it? Is there doubt in your heart? Is it fear? Are you enamored by the world around you? What is it? This morning my question to you is this. How many of you would be willing to make a commitment today. Now, this is a commitment before God. You would say, Pastor, I will begin to make up a hedge for my family. I will pray God's hand of protection, His keeping hand upon my, my family, my children, because here's the greatest testimony. I've seen people come and go in my ministry. People who had an incredible moment with God. Five years later, nowhere to be found. It's not how much fruit that you can make, it's how much fruit remains. That's what Paul said. You'd say, Pastor, I will be one who will stand in the gap i'll make up that hedge this morning if that's you and you'll just raise your hand you say pastor i will be a hedge builder this morning around my family would you raise your hand high say pastor i commit to that over my family i will i will seek the lord over my children over my grandchildren i'll seek god over the lost of my family if you'll raise your hand right right now i want you to i want you to make that your sign of faith and and here's what we're going to do i want you to keep your hand up and we're going to pray with your hand raised, God sees it. I want you to raise your hand and say, Lord, you see my commitment to you. Help me to build these hedges around my family, around my loved ones. In Jesus' name. With your hands continued to be raised. Let's pray. Father, I pray, O God, that you see every hand that's lifted. Lord, you said you looked around and you found none. Lord, I have identified a room full of hedge builders this morning. Of people, Lord, who are willing, Lord, to surround their family. Lord, with the promises of God. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would give them strength, Lord, when challenges of our life and troubles come and the enemy attacks, that, God, that you give them faith to stand right in the middle of that hedge and say, Lord, there is no weapon that's going to form against my faith that's going to prosper. I am going to be victorious in the name of Jesus. Lord, I've identified the hedge builders. Now, Lord, God, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to be strengthened, Lord, today in faith. Every lost family member, Lord, in the name of Jesus, begin to point them toward you, Lord. Every lost son, every lost daughter, Lord, God, every child, Lord, that's under the attack and the oppression of the enemy, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love our families too much to give up on them. God, here's your hedge builders in this church, Lord. Give them strength in the days ahead to stand firm in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.